0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Today we read the story about the uh, resurrection of Lazarus and how Christ uh, raised him from the dead. And in the conversation that he was having with his disciples at the very beginning of the story, when he's telling them, let's go and uh, travel to go there, uh, he's speaking about traveling in the day versus traveling in the night. And he says in verse 9, he says, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. And so we have to understand what does it mean for us to see the light of this world and what does it mean to stumble versus not stumbling. So actually, when Christ, all throughout Scripture, has been giving us different commandments and has been showing us by his example the way that we should live, there are many things that Christ has done and said that is difficult for us to understand and is difficult for us to follow. And it's difficult for us to visualize or know what is exactly does he mean. And that in these things that we have to accept it by faith. And some who do not accept these things by faith, they are a cause of stumbling for them. You know, we read in scripture about people who did not accept the teachings of Christ and so they left Christ. We're going to speak more about these but the idea is, is that many times the things that Christ tells us to do are difficult and are difficult for us to comprehend and to, to know how is it that we should do them. But if the Holy Spirit is working in us, the Holy Spirit is what allows us to grow, is allowed us to, to be enriched, is allows us to increase our knowledge and understanding and to practice and to believe and understand the things that Christ has commanded us to do. So we are told that we should not be living in darkness As those who do not understand the christian faith but we live in the light it says what because we see the light of this world right those who see the light do not stumble because they understand the teachings of christ we do not stumble in our faith that even though we cannot fully understand something it doesn't mean that we, we we don't believe it or that we cannot live according to it like a very quick example of this is the trinity for instance we, we, the Trinity is, is such a, a fundamental doctrine in the Church, and we, we we say everything in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And yet, for us to fully comprehend and understand how God can be one and also three in three persons in one is is difficult. And we use different analogies to try to help us to understand it. But even these analogies are lacking in one way or the other. So someone might look at this doctrine and stumble. They might not believe, they might not understand, that they might discount the Christian faith altogether because of a, a doctrine that they don't understand. But, but here Christ is calling us to what? To, to see beyond this, to have faith in God and to begin to practice and to put into practice our faith in which we will begin to understand. And we'll also be speaking about this. Okay. So what are some things that were stumbling blocks for people or maybe are stumbling blocks for us in the Christian faith. The first one we'll speak about is communion, is that we are eating his body. It says in John 6 verse 35, and he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Okay, but he says what in the next verse? But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. This is the stumbling block, that even to those disciples that he had at the time, he, he told them that I am the bread of life and you come to me and you eat me and you feed on me and I will satisfy you. He says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. And yet these people who heard this from him, who lived with him, who saw his miracles, who believed that he was someone special, that he was not just anyone. And yet when he came to this point and he spoke about eating his body and drinking his blood, they stumbled and they said, how is it that we can eat his body and drink his blood? It was offensive. It was offensive to them. Actually, in the, in the very early church, um, the pagans accused us Christians of being cannibals because we speak about eating the body and drinking the blood of Christ. And with their darkened understanding and darkened mind, without understanding what we are actually speaking about, they thought that we were physically eating one another. And they considered us to be cannibals. Okay? This is a stumbling block. Someone, if someone looks at the idea of, of cannibalism in the church, of course this is a stumbling block because they cannot see with the spiritual eyes. They can't understand the depth of what actually is being said or what actually is happening. The same was true of the Jews. This is why they didn't perceive or, or understand that Jesus Christ was the Messiah because he came in a very different method in a different way with a different focus than what they were expecting. They were thinking in a very earthly way thinking about he was going to be an earthly king that was going to grant them victory over their earthly enemies. But Christ came as a heavenly king to grant them victory over their heavenly enemies. And yet they did not see this and they did not understand it. And so it was a stumbling block for them. Also regarding uh, eating his body in John 6:42, we read, And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? He's speaking that, that he has come down from heaven and that he is the source of life and that he is coessential with the Father and that he accepts to be worshipped and he accepts people to pray to him and he says that he is the Son of God and he tells us to eat his body. And so this is a stumbling block. And people look at this and say, well, who is this man? We know this man. We know where he was born. We know his mother. We know his father. We grew up with him. How is it that he can be the Messiah? How is it he can be who he claims to be? Okay. And and after he, he told them that they have to eat his body, it says in verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? Who can understand it? So we also now in our age, we are also in the need of communion with God. We are in the need of to partake of the sacraments. We are in need of to eat God's body and to drink his blood as he has commanded and as the church has practiced for 2000 years. And yet maybe we also come to this and we stumble at this teaching and we we really question, is this really, could this really be the body and the blood of Christ? Like, How could that actually be? How do we understand it to be? And sometimes when people consider the Orthodox faith or other faiths that also believe in the body, that this is the body and the blood of Christ, they, they seek to have some kind of evidence or proof that this is in fact the case. Now certainly there are verses in the Bible that tell us this. Certainly there's the practice of the early church that tells us this. But unless we actually come and we partake of it, we never will fully understand. And that's one of the kind of premises to all of these stumbling blocks. One of the kind of the main things to keep in mind when it comes to these stumbling blocks and the Christian faith is that these stumbling blocks, the only way we can overcome them is to go through them. The only way we can understand the Christian faith is to begin to practice the Christian faith. If I stand on the outside and kind of critically analyze all the difficult sayings about Christianity and then conclude in the end, well, this doesn't make any sense to me and walk away, that's one thing. But if I really want to understand what is Christianity teaching, then I have to begin to practice it as God has said, and then I see the result. And in the result and in the experience and in the practice, this is how God confirms for me the truth of what he is saying. If I try to understand with my physical mind my earthly worldly mind the heavenly things that god is speaking about i will never understand it is only through the work of god in me that i can understand him that i can understand his work and what is it that he is saying so we are in the constant need of communion for god and even if we don't understand the mechanism by which the this eucharist works in our bodies and works in our spirits to understand what is it doing to us How is it that we are changed as a result? And when this change will occur? All these questions, we don't need an answer to it. We believe what God has said. He told us that unless we eat of his body and drink of his blood, we have no life, which is a very clear statement. We have no life, like we are separated from the source of life who is God when we do not partake of his body and blood. And so we are called to believe in this by faith even without fully understanding what does that mean? What does it mean that we have no life? And in what way is God going to judge those who do not take of his body and blood? Another stumbling block uh, that in the Christian faith is baptism. And what is baptism exactly? When Christ is speaking with Nicodemus the Pharisee who came to visit him at night, he was speaking to him about being born again and seeing the kingdom of God. And so when Christ told Nicodemus that he would have to be born again, Nicodemus was confused. And it says, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Of course, this is another stumbling block. We take for granted what the term born again means because we understand what it means. It's a spiritual rebirth and we know the mechanism of baptism in the water. And we have all been baptized or many of us have been baptized. So we understand this. We, we understand, from at least from an external perspective, what does it mean to be baptized. But here Nicodemus didn't understand this. What does it mean to be born again? What does it mean to have a rebirth? This emphasis on the idea of being born again, again, it tells us how we are transformed and changed and, and recreated in the waters of baptism. It is not just... Uh, a rite of entrance into the church it is a renewal it is a recreation of ourselves that when we go into the waters of baptism the person who we were dies and is dead and, and remains dead and the person who comes up out of the water again is a new person and so we have need of this spiritual rebirth and we have need also to believe and to understand that this baptism is not just like taking a bath it's not just like any other water. It is a very special water. It's a, it's a water that, that, that God has bestowed upon it, this uh, life-giving spirit, his life-giving spirit to allow this transformation to happen to us so that we can become children of God. And this again was a stumbling block for Nicodemus and others that look at baptism and they say well what is this i don't i don't see what's happening i don't see how this could be what you're describing it to be it looks like a very simple thing it looks like just like water and you're going in and coming out again why is this any different Again, we have to look at it with the spiritual eyes of what is it that Christ has said about it. He told us that when we go in the waters of baptism, we die and we resurrect. So we have to believe this in faith and understand the importance of it, that this is not just like anything else. This is why we have all been baptized and we all come to the church um, and join the, the congregation after baptism. Another stumbling block uh, for, for people is the Lord's crucifixion after Christ revealed to the disciples that he had to be killed, it says what? Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. It was a stumbling block and it was an offense, especially to the disciples who loved Christ and lived with him and believed in who he was for them to, to believe that he could be crucified, the fact that he could be killed. Why would Christ allow this to happen to himself and why would this happen they didn't understand and about the gentiles specifically they would look at this man christ and they would look at him and say how can you be god how is it possible for you who appear so weak and frail and just like any other person who doesn't even fight back when he is hurt how can you be powerful and almighty and you can be god this is not the kind of gods that the the pagans uh, at the time the gentiles at the time believed in their gods were powerful gods. Their gods were the gods that can destroy. They even fought with one another, and the gods that prevailed were the ones that were the strongest. And now you're saying that the true God, according to these early Christians, they're saying that the true God is actually this man Jesus Christ, who was killed by other human beings on the cross and died. How could that be? This is a stumbling block for them. This is an offense to them. How could God allow Himself to be crucified? <coughs> But of course, it's because they didn't understand. They didn't understand the reason why that he had to die. They didn't understand that his death was actually out of his love. And that he didn't die because he was weak and couldn't stop it. He allowed himself to be weak. He allowed himself to go through this for the greater good, which is for, the, for our salvation. So again, it's a stumbling block when we don't understand why. We have to understand the reasons why the things are in our faith and not just kind of accept it without fully thinking about it or, or knowing why this is happening. Another stumbling block (coughs) for St. Peter specifically is in John 3 verse 18, or verse 8, sorry, when Christ comes to wash the disciples' feet. And as he begins to wash the disciples' feet, it says, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Why is it that you're coming to wash my feet? Why are you coming like this? Like imagine that Christ, who is the master, who is God, is coming to wash our feet. He's coming to like humble himself in front of us. Like, Like it's very disturbing that we would think that God would do this for us, like wh- how we do not deserve this. Like we should be the one washing his feet, not he should be the one washing our feet. But actually, again, why did he do this? It showed us our need for purification. It showed us that he is actually the one who purifies us. That when I go and confess my sins, God is the one who purifies me. God is the one who cleanses me. God is the one who changes me. Right. So, so this idea of washing the feet was not a washing of the feet because of honor. It's not like God is trying to give the disciples some kind of honor. He's trying to save them. He's trying to give them what they need. He's trying to give them to be purified, to be sanctified vessels so that they can inherit the kingdom of God. Right? Again, this was a stumbling block. Why is it that Christ is doing this? Christ did so many things that was difficult to understand and would make us question. What is he doing? Why is he saying this? So this is, again, why we have to accept things by faith. We have to accept what what he did and, and, and not just according to our own understanding. Another stumbling block that people experience about the teachings of Christ was related to divorce. In Matthew chapter 19, it says, And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry Again, yeah, this was a difficult teaching, this, this very high moral standard. We're saying, "Go well, you on." Know there's no divorce. And not only that, he says what, for instance, about adultery. He says adultery is not just the physical act of adultery, but adultery is the mental act, is simply lusting with the mind, right? Christ made, made it very clear that sin is first with the thought and then later with the action. The first sin is with the thought. So this very high moral standard God is ex- expecting from us, how is it we can accept this? How is it that we can understand how to live this way of such a high standard? And Again, it's, we stumble in this because we don't understand the power that God gives us to live according to his commandments. If God were just to give us certain commandments that were very difficult for us to obey and says, okay, go live this life, live your life this way and live with this very high standard. But I'm not offering you any help. I'm not telling you what to do. Just go do it on your own. This is actually a, a belief of some people in the early church. Um, there was a man whose name was Pelagius. And he believed that you could attain salvation simply by your own effort, like you could essentially live a moral and righteous life without the work of God in your life, but simply because you, you have used your will and you work very hard and you be very careful and you live essentially without sin because of your own effort. And of course, we know this is false, right? We, are, we have all ha- have inherited corruption right? We are unable to live righteously. We're unable to live without sin. And so this is why God works with us. This is why God sanctifies us. This is why God betters us. This is why God forgives us whenever we fall into sin and temptation. So this high standard of morality that the people were stumbling in, so how is it that we can live according to the standard? Well, he says, because I'm with you, because I'm giving you the strength to do so, because I'm allowing you to live according to the standard. And you don't have to live in sin any longer. This is why We focus so much in the church on our sanctification that through the work of God in us, we can change, we can grow, we can overcome sin, and we shouldn't have to feel that we have to remain in in whatever sins we struggle with forever. We can overcome this. We can grow in this. The the last point regarding uh, points of stumbling uh, that I want to mention has to do with wealth. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 24 and 25, he says, And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? And he says, what, like, if, if it is this difficult, I mean, you think about it, like, most people, our focus in life is to gain wealth. Our definition of success in the world is wealth. Not, not necessarily just because we want to be wealthy, but because we want to use the wealth to attain the things that we want. Okay? Now, the problem here is not the wealth itself. The problem is the attachment to the wealth. The problem is the love of money, not the money itself. You know, when Christ says the root of all evil is what? It doesn't say money, it's the love of money. Okay? So if on the one hand, as human beings, we spend so much of our effort gaining money, wanting to use the money, seeking the use of the money, and maybe oftentimes sacrifice our spiritual life as a result. And he's saying, but these, this is how difficult it is. Because people love money so much, because people seek after money so much, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. This analogy gives us a a perspective on how difficult it is because those who love money seek only money. Those who love money go only after money and everything else is sacrificed as a result. So this is again a stumbling block. If, If the normal ways of the world, if the normal ways of our life, if the ways that we've been taken for granted throughout our life, the way that we've been taught throughout our whole life, those things are incorrect. Those things are wrong. Everything that the world is teaching us either directly or indirectly, is actually leading us in the opposite direction. This is why it is so difficult to enter the kingdom of heaven, because we have to come out of the system. We have to take a step back and realize that the system of the world, the system we were born into, the system that is leading us in a certain direction, is flawed, very flawed, and is wrong. And, and, and so often the things that we are taught or the things that we are told or the things that we are exposed to, we have to question these things. We cannot just accept them and live according to this way. And this infiltrates the church as well because we as human beings are in the church and also live in the world. So the, the wrong ideas and the wrong thoughts that we learn in the world, we bring it to the church and sometimes it begins to infiltrate the church and we begin to think in the wrong way. For instance, you can have a church, for instance, that's obsessed with money a church that cares only about money and wants to gain more and more and more money and have more and more people and gain more and more. So that's not, the pers- that's not the right perspective of the church. The right perspective of the church is we want the salvation of the people. Now, we might need money in that goal, but the goal is not the money. The goal is the people. How is it that we can bring salvation to the people and provide the people what is it that they need? Finally, I want to speak a little bit about how to deal with these teachings. How do we understand these difficult teachings so that they do not become stumbling blocks for us? The first is, we need to first have the right understanding. What is it that God is commanding us to do? What is he telling us to do? When we hear these difficult teachings, what is the context? Why is he saying this? Treat, read in the word of God and understand how it, what, what he's saying. Okay? The next is, like we said before, we have to start doing it first and then understanding it later. Right? The way we understand things in the Christian life is by experiencing it, is by doing it. Right, We can read about it all we want, but until we begin to do it, we won't understand. For instance, we might all understand that prayer is important, but until we begin to pray, we won't really understand what prayer is. We won't understand what it does. We don't understand how powerful it can be. We won't understand what does it mean to speak to God and how it can change our life. We can't just look at it from the outside and study prayer from a, like an external perspective and say, okay, this is prayer. This is how I'm supposed to pray. This is all this, but I don't understand it. So because I don't understand it, I don't understand how I could do anything. I'm not going to do it. Or I don't understand how, you know, in the liturgy, we're eating the body and the blood. So I'm not going to do it. Or I don't understand why fasting is important. So I'm not going to do it right. In all these things, we miss out on the blessing of participating with God and working with God because He is the one who gave us these tools for our salvation. For instance, in fasting, we might not understand why fasting is important. But someone who fasts regularly and doesn't just try to do the minimum, but seeks to fast and fast for the right purpose and the right understanding, will see the benefit in their life. And this is something that we can experience. So we first have to do that's the first thing we have to do, is we, we do what, what, what God tells us, and then we will understand later, not to wait to understand so that we can do. And of course, we have to have faith. We have to have faith. Why? Because the mysteries of God are mysteries. We will never fully understand them. We might, we might experience them, we might see benefit in them, but how do they actually work? How does God actually change things? How do the mysteries function? This is why we call them a mystery, because God doesn't reveal this to us. He doesn't tell us why and so we we work and we believe in god based on what he said not because we have full understanding of him we also have to understand the power of the word of god right the word of god is the one that we go to to understand things to teach us things about the about the christian life about the christian commandments of what is it that god has asked us to do so we have to read it and we have to read all verses that are associated with a specific concept Because sometimes people will read one verse and from that one verse they will get like some understanding of it. And it would be a flawed understanding because they're taking it out of context. But if they read all the verses associated with this topic, then maybe it would give us a much better understanding. Also, reading the writings of the church fathers and commentaries and things like that help us understand, have a fuller picture of what is it that God is teaching us. Finally, acquiring the mind of a spiritual person. A person who looks at things with spiritual eyes understands spiritual commands. But someone who looks at things only with worldly eyes will not understand spiritual commands. This is why in, in, the, in the Orthodox faith, it's not just about learning. right? It's not just about academic work. It's not just about understanding things. It's also about experiencing things. The spiritual life is just as important as the, as the education. For me to know the history of the church, to know the rights of the church, to know the theology of the church, that's all important. But without the spirituality that goes with it, it's just a dead religion. It's just a bunch of information that maybe you, know, you can become an expert at. But without the spirituality that goes and the experience that goes with it and the application of those things that go with it, then we we are not reaching that spiritual mind. We're not you know achieving and having that spiritual mind, that spiritual perspective, so that we can fully understand what is it that God is asking us to do and why he is asking us to do it. So may God grant us the spiritual mind so that we do not stumble at the commandments of Christ And that we don't look at his commandments and we discount them or we think that they're not important or we think they're too difficult or we ignore them altogether. But instead, when we see difficult teachings of Christ, we embrace them and we say, God is giving this to me for a reason. This is intended for me. It's not intended for somebody else. It's intended for all of us to practice, to, to gain experience in, to grow in, and to draw closer to God through. And glory be to God forever. Amen.